Amen. Well, welcome to Mike and Mike in the morning here <laughs> at Kirby Church. This is Michael Hewitt, our youth pastor. I'm Mike Trimble, the lead pastor. So we thought we'd give you a little Mike and Mike in the morning, two Sunday. days before Christmas. Mm. How many of you, you are abs- you could have Christmas just as soon as you get home. You are so ready for Christmas. Everything is ready. How many of you could have Christmas like right now? You are so ready. That is awesome. We're coming over today. All right. <laughs> How many of you, it will take you to July to get ready for Christmas? Yes. Probably me. God bless you. We, we see those hands. You know, two days, I'll be going, and the kids, man, I, I'm, how many of the kids, man, we're ready for Santa to come, right? Yes, we are. Whoop, whoop, you know? And, uh, and Santa Claus to come. You know, when I, it wasn't until I traveled outside of the United States that I realized that people around the world look at Santa Claus a little differently. They have their own traditions about Santa Claus. I thought they were all just kind of, everybody had the same thing, you know, short guy, you know, big belly, little beard, kind of looks like somebody, I guess. But anyway, it, it has that, that idea. And it wasn't until I traveled around that, uh, that I realized there was dif- it was different. Yeah, you got the short part, right, Pastor? So I went to Istanbul, Turkey, uh, just a couple years ago, and I started hearing about their Santa Claus. And uh, it's St. Nicholas, and he was born in 280 AD. And the thing about him is he was a really kind guy. He was super generous, so much so that his family was really wealthy, died when he was really young. Uh, all the inheritance money he got, he just gave it away to people um, who were in need and who were hurting. So I'm hearing about him. But the last thing I heard threw me from a loop. This guy in Turkey, this St. Nicholas, he said, you know what? He became protector or known as the protector of children and of sailors. I'll just leave it at that. You guys do your thing, Turkey. I was like, all right, that is just really weird. Threw me for a crazy loop. Then when I was in France, I learned about this guy called Pierre Noel. Pierre Noel in France. If you were a good French child, Pierre Noel would put snacks and, and cookies, Christmas treats in your shoe. That does not sound like Christmas to me. That sounds a little nasty to me, you know? I have smelled some of your shoes. I've smelled, uh-uh. Then later, Pierre Noel hooked up with this guy, Pierre, that guy. And, uh, and what would happen if you were good that you would get treats in your shoes. If you were bad, this other guy, Pierre Fortrard, man, he would give you a spanking. Dude, that does not sound like the Christmas I wanna be at, you know? No, I'm glad that guy wasn't in America because I wouldn't have got treats and I already got too many spankings as it was as a kid. But in America, we have Santa Claus. And in two days, we're gonna see him. There's a picture of him right there. And in 1822, two guys uh, by the name of Clement Clark forget his last name, and then another guy named Thomas Nass, they wrote a poem, really long poem, entitled An Account of a Visit from St. Nick. And it's what we now know as, does anyone know? Twas the night before, Santa, you are correct. Twas the night before Christmas. Uh, And they wrote that poem in 1822. And so we get a lot of our modern day characteristics about Santa from that poem. For instance, his big white beard came from that, the big, uh, the, the red suit, the short thing, that's kind of pastor's thing, but we get a lot of characteristics from that poem that we now apply to the Santa we know. Thank you, former youth pastor, Michael Hewitt. <laughs> well, the, and even in America, throughout our history, the idea of Santa's kind of, kind of evolved, kind of been a little different. In the 1820s in the Pennsylvania Dutch country, 
is kind of where Chris Kringle started from. So I'm telling you now, I know what you think in Miracle on 34th Street. Believe me, this is no Miracle of 34th Street guy. Chris Kringle, if, if you were a good child, then he would give you cake or nuts. If you were a bad child, Dude, he had a rod and he would wear you out with that rod. That gives new meaning to the song. You better watch out. You better, yeah, you got that. Well, names are interesting things. There's a lot of things tied to names. Uh, for instance, if you're here and your last name is Smith, then we can look back at your family tree and we can see someone way down at the bottom who worked with uh, silver, iron, maybe even leather, some other type of wear. And if you're here and your name's Shoemaker, the same thing applies. We can pinpoint someone who was a shoemaker in your past. And so me and Allie, we are not pregnant yet, not pregnant, let me get that right. And, uh, but we've already picked out about five different names for our future kids, because my wife is type A. And, uh, and all those names start, and I love her for that. Allie, I love you wherever you're at. Um, and all those names start with the letter L. Uh, which may be confusing having five kids with the same letter starting their name later on in life, but we're going to work with that because that's what Allie wants. And so we're going to go with it. But what's going to happen is after we give them their L name, they're going to receive the name Hewitt. And that's a special name to me. Obviously, it's my last name. But 25 uh, years ago, just yesterday, was my gotcha day, the day I was adopted and got that name given to me. In fact, my name, just like you guys, you have three names. Mine's John Michael Hewitt. Uh, technically, I have four. I'm a junior, and I don't like to tell many people that, so can you please keep that on the down low? Uh, and so I'm a junior. But names have a lot of interesting things tied to them. Maybe you're here and you're named after a friend uh, or even a hero. Um, and maybe you're here and your name came from a biblical figure, and that would be cool. And, and the reason that would be cool is biblical figures, they, uh, their name had a meaning and it had a message tied to them, kind of a two-in-one thing, if you will. And so if you think about that with the life of Jesus and all these different names that we get told about him, and that's a cool thing. It gives us a clearer picture of who he is to us, what he came to do for us. But today what we're going to do is we're going to focus on one name. We're going to look at the birth narrative of Christ and Matthew, and we're going to focus on one name today. And the name we're going to focus on is his name. It's Jesus. So take your Bibles and turn with me to Matthew chapter one. Take your iPad, your whatever Bible device that you, you got now, and uh, and. Follow along with me. The story up, the Christmas story up to this point is not complicated. Mysterious, yes. Complicated, no. In this day, there were prearranged marriages, older prearranged marriages. And then when you got engaged, it had the legality of the marriage without the physicality of the marriage for this pledge year, or for this pledge of one year. And basically, it was kind of to see if the families could get along and everybody work out. And so verse 18 says, this is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother Mary was pledged, engaged, to be married with Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. Now she has to explain this to Joseph. And, and if Matthew is kind of Joseph's side of the story. Look at verse 19. Verse 19 says, Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. And as he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, 
By the way, that's an important phrase because it shows the royalty of his son that it could trace all the way back to the lineage of King David. Do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. And verse 21 is really kind of the key verse we're going to lock in on today. And she'll give birth to a son, and you're going to call his name Jesus. Jesus. Now, if you were living in Joseph's time, the custom, the tradition was, is that you, the father, would name your firstborn son after you. God broke that tradition here with Joseph in this instance and said, you're going to call his name Jesus. At this point in history, Jesus was a very common name. Matter of fact, it was more of an expression of hope from the parents to name their child Jesus, that God hadn't forgotten Israel in their bondage, that God hadn't forgotten Israel in these 400 years where there had been no prophet and no priest and no king. And it was an expression of faith that God would send a Messiah who would come and save his people. So God tells Joseph that you're going to name him Jesus because he will save his people. He will save his people from their sins. Now, the word Jesus means to save, to heal, to rescue. To save, to heal, or to rescue. So when God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to save us, he gave his one and only son. And his name shows us his purpose. His name shows us his vision. His name shows us his mission. And it was simply that God is sending this baby into the world who will grow up, die for the sins of humanity, because Jesus Christ came to save people from their sin. That's right, and there's no other name that can do that. However, I want to make a case for a name that comes in a really close second place. It's a very unique name. It's a very special name. Some of you might actually have this name. Uh, the one name I want to talk to you about is the name Michael. Michael. What a great name Michael is. It Amen. actually means he Amen. who is like God. Hey. He who is like God. So it is a privilege for you all to be st sitting there looking at us two men who are like God. The, the thing is... Here's now, the see, that's not a good place to laugh, people. I'm <laughs> the truth is, it says he who is like God, not he who is God. Right, Pastor? And um, it says he who is like God, not is God. Because there's only one person who could be God and human at the same time, and that's Jesus. And so we see in the end of verse 21 that he will come and he'll save his people from their sins. Now, this was great news for the Jewish people of their day. If you, if you uh, know this, that they were under the Roman rule and reign. Uh, and it was, it wasn't, everything wasn't just fluffy and great and, and happy. It was a little tough for them. And so they have this prophesied savior who they know is going to come. And all of a sudden they're thinking, oh man, this is great. If you come and you take over this government, oh, this will be awesome. We'll have a change of heart when you come and do that. Oh, you know what? If, if you come uh, and you make our own nation, we'll make it a nation that's under you. I promise. Uh, you know what? If you come and you bring some sort of economic relief, oh, that would just bless our lives. Our lives would get so much better. And we're kind of in that boat, if you think about it. I'm sure all of us come up with a list of things that we could do uh, and wish our government would implement to maybe better our government. But here's the truth, and it's kind of a hard truth. Uh, we can have everything on that list happen. The, the government could put it in place, implement it, and we can just check it off and it can happen. But the only thing that's going to change in that moment is our situation, not our heart. You know, see, the Jews were looking for something to fix them. 
And God knew it wouldn't be a thing that fixes them. It wouldn't be something, but it would be someone. You know, we're a lot like the Jews of that, that time. We're looking for the next thing that will make us money, that next book that will help us through a tough time, the next self-help thing, the next this, the next that. We're all kind of looking for that thing. Well, you don't need a thing. You need someone. See, because God understood our deepest need. He really did. And he understands your deepest need. And today your deepest need isn't the things that Michael just spoke about. Your deepest need is to know Jesus Christ, the one who can save you, rescue you, heal you. You need to know him as your Lord and Savior. See, if your greatest need was education, God would have sent you a teacher. If your greatest need was technology, God would have sent you an engineer or a computer geek. If your greatest need was, was money or finances, God would have sent you an economist. If your greatest need was an entertainer, God would have sent you, or leisure, pleasure, God would have sent you an entertainer. But he realized your greatest need was none of that. Your greatest need, whether you realize it or not, your greatest need is a savior. And that's why God sent his son. See, he ultimately knew what it was that we needed and what they needed. And that's why he sent his son. But the thing was, is the Jews, they were misinterpreting everything. They thought the savior's role was gonna be to come onto the scene, do your thing, lead us in a revolution against the Roman empire. Let's break off and let's just have our own thing happen. But man, that was their hope. And since they put their hope in that, they were missing the true meaning of his name. And if we're not careful, we're gonna miss it too. Now, the Bible says in Matthew 1, that he will come, you'll call his name Jesus because he will save his people. See that? personal pronoun, he will save his people from their sins. So Jesus came to the Jews first. He came to proclaim the message to the Jews first, but the message is really for all of us. Yeah. Let me see if I can illustrate this a little better. I'm a youth pastor here at Kirby Church. And so if I was to get all the students and, and preach the same Matthew 1, 21, get them all here and say, all right, open up your Bibles. There's a really important verse you want to read. Check it out. It says, Jesus is going to come and he's going to save us. How cool is that? Man, don't we need that? Check it out, guys. You do not need the newest thing, the newest did, the, whatever the coolest kid in school has. You do not need that. You don't need something. What you need is someone. And that someone that you need is Jesus. So just like Michael gave a very simple gospel message that was aimed at the young people in this room, those of us who are older realize that its truths are timeless, that these principles are applicable, and that its message incorporates us all. And so Jesus started with the Jews, but his message is timeless, his principles inclusive. In fact, it includes all of us. John 3, 16 says, for God so loved the world. That's you, that's me. It includes all of us and excludes none of us. His love is for all of humanity, irregardless of sin, color, what you've done, where you've been. He loves all of us so much that he gave his one and only son, that's Jesus, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Matter of fact, you can kind of see that whosoever kind of aspect in the Christmas story. Why, there were shepherds at, at one end of the economic spectrum, and then there were wise men or magi. There were rich and poor there. There were young and old there. There were some smart and not so smart there. Because the gospel message is for all of us. There were Jews and Gentiles there, showing us that the Christmas message is for all the peoples of the world because Jesus Christ came to save people from their sin. 
Now, if you've ever flown in an airplane, uh, you know that before you take off, they'll go through a series of safety procedures, in which case I usually put my headphones in and just kind of tune them out. I don't want to know what's going to happen if an emergency is going to happen. I just want to kind of react in the moment. That's what I'm like, okay? And so I'm like, I don't want to hear. I want to do my own thing. Let's see what happens. And I get energy from that. And so uh, this last time I went on a plane ride, I actually decided, yeah, I'm going to listen. And I'm going to kind of go through this with them, even though probably nobody does. I'm like, I'm going to be the guy who does. And so they're, they're telling me I can pull out this card in the seat back pocket in front of me. And I pull this card out, in which case I've never really looked at it. And I don't know if you've ever seen this card, but it doesn't really have words, but it has pictures. And the pictures on this card are hilarious. For instance, this guy, take a look at him. Now, if you're in an emergency situation, I think this would be the most fun emergency situation to be in. One that you can take off running from the back of the plane and have a good flying leap out of the plane with my arms raised high. Look at it, it's an emergency situation, but there's not a hint of fear or terror in this guy's face. In fact, he looks like he's the referee who just said, game-winning field goal of the Super Bowl. This guy is excited. And to get air like that, man, that guy was jumping. He was joyful. There's another picture I wanna show you though. And it's really kind of funny. Don't mind the little bubbles in the water. Not sure what that means. <laughs> anyway, it is kind of funny because the two people, everyone's kind of looking at them. The guy, on, the guy on the left, he's safe, right? Because they're over that side. So he can do the finger pointing. Anyway, once again, it could be in a great lake, right? It could be in the ocean, but somewhere a plane went down in water and they used their safety devices, the seats that they were sitting in, and it's gonna save them. And, and the guy on the left and the lady on the right, they're both wearing their jackets. Like they'll be out of here in no time. I, I don't know if I keep my jacket on if I was in the middle of an ocean, and maybe if it was a cold one. But the whole thing is, is they tell us all of these and they give us these pictures that make us laugh. Uh, to help save us, right? Like if there's an emergency situation, then man, we know what to do and we can use these and I'd rather use them than not use them because that's what they're there for. Well, I want you guys to know that's what Jesus came to do, right? He came to save us. And so we're in an emergency situation if we don't have them and it's all because of sin. And so it's all because of Jesus' name that he came to save and save us from those emergency situations. One final safety tip, if you fly with Michael Hewitt, do not put him in the emergency exit aisle. It would right? be fun. Come on. Here's the deal. Here's the deal. God knew your greatest need. He knew because of Adam and Eve's sin in the Garden of Eden that, that our great, 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 grandfather times 40, ever how many, because he sinned. His spiritual DNA was passed on to all of us. He was perfect. He and Eve were perfect in the Garden of Eden. But sin was so, sin was so life-changing that it changed the constitution, the, the constitution of man's nature and the constitution of man's soul so that man would never be the same. And that spiritual change, that spiritual sin was passed on. And that's part of our spiritual DNA. And it's passed on to all of us. So it kind of puts us in this emergency situation where you don't need an economist, you need a savior. Where you don't need an educator, you need a savior. Where you don't need a, a self-help book, you need a savior. The Bible tells us that she'll give birth to a son and you'll give him this name, Jesus. The name that saves us, rescues us, heals us from our sins. That's our greatest need. So that we can have a relationship with Jesus Christ because he will save his people. He will save his 
people from their sin. See, this morning, you can have the Christmas tree, you can have the food, you can have everything ready in the house clean for the company to come, but if you don't have this life-changing experience with Jesus Christ, if you don't know him as your Savior, the one who came to save you, rescue you, heal you, you say, oh, yeah, yeah, it's Christmas and I'm here because I, you know, I think Jesus existed and I know he came in a baby. That's not the type of belief I'm talking about. The type of belief I'm talking about is where you realize that you have messed up, that you've sinned. And look at this congregation this morning, man. You can just look around. This room is full of messed up people, amen? But God delights in rescuing, healing, saving messed up folk. God's not willing that any should perish, but that we all repent of our sinfulness and ask Christ into our heart. See, if your greatest need is Jesus, then this morning, let me tell you what your greatest gift is, Jesus. Going back to John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son because he came to save people from their sins. So if you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, I mean, if you have not told him you're sorry for your sins and you've committed yourself to living for him, man, why don't you do that right now? Why don't you give yourself and your family the greatest Christmas present you could ever receive? And that's to receive this Jesus who came to save you, who came to rescue you from your greatest need. And that's to have a savior. Would you bow your heads and would you close your eyes for just a moment? And if you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, why not right now do it? Why not right now just realize and confess that you're a sinner, that you've messed up, and that God recognized your greatest need, and he came to save you. So why not right now give him your heart and give him your life? You say, well, how do I do that? Well, it starts. It's a process. It's not a one-time act. It's not a dot on a page. It's a process, and it can begin today. It's a, and, and here's how it starts. It begins with a simple prayer. And the prayer, and I'm just going to say it for you and then just ask you to repeat it. The prayer just simply says, Dear Jesus, I'm a sinner, and I'm glad that you realize my greatest need was that I need saving from my sins. So Jesus, I'm telling you I'm sorry for my sins. And I invite you into my heart. And from this day forward, I want to live for you. You say that in your heart, and you mean it. So here's the prayer. Say it in your heart. Repeat it in your heart. Dear Jesus, forgive me of my sins. I realize that you're my greatest need. And from this day forward, I want to live for you. In Jesus' name. Now just keep your heads bowed and your eyes closed. Several in our first service prayed that prayer. And my prayer this morning and Michael's prayer this morning is that if you don't know Christ as your Savior, you prayed that prayer this morning. You began this relationship with this Jesus who came to save you, rescue you, heal you from your greatest need, your sinfulness, so that he could change your life and make it better than you could ever imagine. And so this morning, if you prayed that prayer, 
and you invited Jesus Christ into your heart, would you just take a first step, a, a, a baby step of faith? Would you just raise your hand and say, by an uplifted hand, you don't have to say a word, but your hand will let me know, Pastor Mike, I asked Jesus Christ in my heart. I gave you my heart today, right now. Realizing my greatest need was Jesus. I gave you my heart. Pastor, I'm raising my hand right now to let you know. I gave Jesus Christ my heart. Would you raise your hand quickly? And God bless you. Thank you so much. Would you raise it? And just raise it and then you can put it right back down. That's awesome. Don't be ashamed. So, Father, for those raise their hand today we praise your name because that's why you came you came to save us from our sins that's the whole picture of Christmas it's about a child fully God yet fully man entering into this world becoming one of us so we could be one of his life would be forever blessed and changed so Lord we love you and we thank you for it in Jesus name and God's people said amen God's people said amen amen I want you to know would, would you just you, you might as well go ahead and stand I don't know what we're going to do but you might as well stand while we do what we don't know <laughs> Christmas has a past history, doesn't it? It's an event that has happened. But it also has a future, as uh, a present aspect. Its truth is for us today. Amen? Amen? That those who accepted Jesus Christ today are for me when I was a seven-year-old little boy and gave Jesus Christ my heart. Man, it has a relevant truth for me today because my Savior, He's real. But it also has a future component to it. Christmas does. Because not only do we look back and look inward, but we, we look ahead. Philippians chapter 2, verses 9 through 11 says this. And I want you to read it with me. And I don't want you to read it like deadpan Baptists, all right? I don't want you to read it like Sundays going, nah, I don't want you to read I want you to read it because you're saved. I want you to read it like you know this Jesus who went to a cross, died for your sins, and then, praise God, rose again to show us that he is who he says he is, the Son of God and the Savior of the world. So when we read it, it's a book of life, so let's read it with life, all right? We're not going to drag it out. you got to stay with me. Follow me. Here we go. Therefore God exalted him. Stop. Who's him? Jesus. Who? Jesus. It's Jesus. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him, who's him? Jesus. Jesus, the name that is above every name. And that at the name of Jesus, whose name? Jesus. Whose name? Jesus. Every knee should bow in heaven and on earth, under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Amen. That every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Say it with me. That every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Listen, church, that day will come. That day is coming. Clap your hands, because on that day, man, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess and worship that glorious name.